Hour number two, Canucks Central. It's Dan Riccio and Satyar Shah in the Kintech studio. Kintech Footwear and Orthotics, Canada's favorite orthotics provider, supported by over 2,500 five-star Google reviews. Find your perfect fit at Kintech.net. Now let's bring in our next guest to the program. It is Greg Wyshynski, ESPN senior writer, joining us here. Thanks for this, Greg. Uh, we're hyped for the new season, and we've got a trade to talk about. It's the perfect day to do a radio show. <laughs> blockbuster. An <laughs> early season blockbuster. I like Casey DeSmith. I think Casey DeSmith is, is a solid a solid pickup there. Um, I know, obviously, I know there was some financial reasons for the deal, too, but for the, the role that he was cast in in Pittsburgh, I thought he, he did well. Um, and and I, think, uh, I think it's a shrewd little move for Vancouver. Yeah, and I, I mean, when I just, I just kind of wonder about uh, where Vancouver is going this season and the fact that they're getting all their business done early. I, I think it makes sense in terms of getting themselves a little bit of runway here and having a solid season. But it's a team that now has been giving up a lot of draft picks to try to just get cap compliant with a team that's missed the playoffs a lot. So I think for this trade to work out for Vancouver, Wish, I just want to get your thoughts here, is they have to have a competitive year for once after giving up all this capital to be good. Yeah, for sure. But I, I think I think they will, yeah. <laughs> like, personally. Like, I, I'm, I'm having to start to figure out the predictions and the ins and outs and the whole thing. I got a column coming out on Thursday with bold predictions for the season, and and the more I look at the, the Western Conference, uh, in particular, when, it, when you look at the Central and, and how top-heavy it's going to end up being, it wouldn't surprise me to see five teams come out of the Pacific for the playoffs, and it wouldn't surprise me to see the Canucks being one of them. Um, now, that means that somebody has to topple out of you know, the, the upper echelon of the Pacific. Could it be the Kraken? Could we see them take a step back? I think it's possible. Uh, could it be... You know, the Flames, again, not leveling up with the new coach as possible. I, I think the opportunity is there for Vancouver to make the playoffs, and, and, and I, they've got some things going for him. I mean, Tockett getting a full season, obviously, it, it's, you know, he'll have the benefit of putting his stamp on the team in a pretty emphatic way in camp, Demko being healthy. Like, there, there's some things to kind of like about Vancouver here, and, and like you said, you know, success on the ice is going to be the ultimate validation of, of the moves they've made behind the scenes feels too weird like how normal it's been so far you know for the Canucks where they're just like they're kind of operating in a very business savvy way since uh you know they finally got over everything that happened with Bruce Boudreaux and ever since then it's it's been a lot smoother around Vancouver it feels like how do you feel well yeah I mean in comparison of having the lead up to the season be we think our general manager hates our coach. <laughs> you know, it's a, it's a, it's a bit of a, a, pl- a pleasant turnaround uh, That's right. from, from a year ago. So yeah, I mean, it, it is, it is much more, I think on the ice focused. It's much more thinking about the, where the pieces fit. It's, and, and you know, there's, it's much more optimistic. I mean, like, look, when you look at this team and, and it's foibles in the last couple of seasons, you definitely think about what the blue line has been in previous seasons. Then you think about the moves they made in the, in the summer with Saucy and with Cole and, and getting better on the back end. That's only going to benefit Demko. Um, there's there's reasons to be kind of happy with the, with the way things are trending, but ultimately, you know, as every Canucks fan knows, the game ain't played on paper. Well, and I mean, the, uh, the other question, though, too, when I look at just Vancouver in general, is they have a lot of talent, and the 
And can they have some of these guys maybe take another step? And we know Pedersen and Hughes have, but, you know, can Kuzmenko bring what he did in the past? Can we see a guy like Brock Besser do something? Like, I think for them to take a step too, they, they would have to have a few of these guys take maybe jump a tier. And the one guy I wonder about is, JT Miller, I know he took a lot of crap last year because he didn't have the best season, but if he actually like puts his you know head straight and he has a good five on five year with five with power play production, like he can have the type of year where he gets a lot of well, I want to mean accolades in terms terms of awards, but he can get a lot of discussion points in positive ways. Yeah, and like you said, I mean, when we talk about things kind of calming down a little bit year over year, I think it speaks directly to the lead up to the season for Miller. I mean, last year was the pretty tumultuous time for him. I mean, it was, it was, you know, a, a lot of, of criticism about uh, God, everything, <laughs> whether it's like the, the contract or, or his uh, place in the locker room. And should he be here? Should he not? The whole thing. It's definitely been a bit quieter in the lead up uh, this time around, but, um, but you're right. I mean, ultimately the fate of this team and as a playoff contender is going to be determined by, by how well, everybody levels up their play and, and that goes for the high-end guys too. I mean, you know, I think there's been a lot of talk now I've seen from people about Quinn Hughes and, and the kind of offensive season that's expected from him and the idea that he could be a contender for the Norris this year, potentially with a, with a robust point total. And it's the, it's the role players is the high-end guys. Everybody's got to take a step forward for them to get back to the playoffs. We all know the, uh, the question marks around Elias Patterson and his, his contract situation, but um those are, are going to get figured out as time goes on. My question more is, do, do you see another gear in Pedersen's game? He had the 102 points last year. Do you think there's another level that he can get to? 103 points, I think, would be the, <laughs> the next step. No, I mean, listen, he's, he's already incredible, right? I mean, there are probably dimensions to his game that could use improvement and can improve with time and with age, but, I mean you talk about like least of your worries. Yeah. <laughs> he's, he's least of your worries, man. He's, he's a special player. And like you said, I mean, you hope that the contract situation gets itself sorted out and, uh, and, and uh, everything kind of moves forward, but yeah, he's, he's a special player. Um, I, I wanted to get your take on, on Montreal's uh, half of this deal. Now it's, it's not much, you know, Tanner Pearson and a third round pick, but if I look at Montreal just kind of being the third man in on the Eric Carlson deal, they've now got a second-round pick out of it, a third-round pick from Vancouver, a fourth-round pick from Detroit in the Jeff Petrie trade, a couple of prospects, and all they had to do was be a part of the Eric Carlson deal and take on 2.3 of Petrie's contract to make it all happen. It's, it's kind of a good bit of business from the Montreal Canadiens. Absolutely. You know, they're building a war chest of picks for the next couple of seasons. And, you know, also with that, with that in mind as well, I mean, they pick up a player that they can obviously look to flip later in the season as well. So, you know, it's, it's a good bit of business. They know what they're doing. They're building something there uh, for the long term, and they're going to be exciting to watch. I mean, I think in thinking about like the players that we're all curious about, like Cole Caulfield, hopefully being healthy for a full season, based on the goal-scoring metrics that he had last year in an in a injury-truncated season, and the fact that he has such incredible chemistry with Suzuki, um, it's, it's going to be fun to watch at least some of these young guys, uh, you know, where they end up in their totals this year. I mean, it's not going to be a very good hockey team, especially in a competitive division like that, but there are at least some reasons to, you know, care about the Habs when they're on TV. 
Yeah, and uh, you know we'll see ultimately if they that they have that high end developed because if they do, then well they might be cooking with something pretty fun in Montreal Montreal over the years. Uh, you know we kind of alluded to it a bit earlier, but you alluded to to it. You'd say at least Vancouver doesn't have a coach everybody hates, and that's something that happened in, in Columbus. And now Mike <laughs> Babcock is out of a job. I mean, now that we've had a few days for this to kind of just you know percolate a little bit, does it seem any? less astounding than what it was when this first occurred and he ultimately left? No, it's insane. I yeah. mean, it's a, it's a, it's a guy who got hired in July who got, who got, you know, let go basically a few days before training camp starts because of an off ice scandal of his own making. And, you know, it's, it's not insane from the sense that a lot of us and, and I'll accept John Davidson's apology <laughs> to the critics who said, this is dumb. Don't hire Mike Babcock. Uh, a lot of us saw this coming in the sense of the scrutiny was going to be extraordinarily high on this guy. He clearly, in all of the trying to mend his reputation media interviews he had done leading up to him getting this gig, showed absolutely nothing that came close to him being contrite about the way he acts. He clearly thought he was still smarter than everybody else in the room. And then he goes off and does this stupid pop psychology nonsense that he pulled on every other player he's coached. And Times have changed, and luckily players are more empowered, and they don't have to put up with this crap anymore. And, and the, the thing that I pull out of this whole situation, personally, is that, you know, obviously if it's not for, for Paul Bissonnette and Spit and Chicklets, we don't know this happened. And then the NHLPA picked up the ball in a pretty emphatic way, and I think Marty Walsh comes off looking great. I talked to a few players this week that were like, this guy flew to Columbus. He did the investigation. Like, they're all really impressed with how aggressive the PA was on all of this. But for me, like if you're the PA, you're saying to yourself, okay, but why did these guys have to go to biz instead of us? And if you're Boone Jenner, you're probably like, why didn't the younger guys on my team feel comfortable coming to me with this instead of going to a podcast? And if you're, if you're, if you're the NHL, you're looking at your (laughs) whistleblower hotline and wondering why the light isn't blinking because there's no messages. Like, the systems that are, aren't in place and that are, are like breaking down around hockey culture where you have young players feeling like they can't talk to anybody in power or anybody with influence um, and instead are dropping texts to, to, to guys with podcasts. I mean, that's, that's a real story for me here. It's, like that's, it's part and parcel with the problem with that we have these abusive coaches is that we don't have guys feeling comfortable that they can use the mechanisms that are in place to really remedy the situations. Well, yeah, and even Jarmo Kekalainen yesterday saying that in his his news conference, essentially, uh, you know, players didn't feel comfortable coming to me. Um, which, you know, also why would they when you kind of stood up for Mike Babcock almost the entire time until you yeah. had to get him to resign? You know, it just I, I wonder why players didn't feel coming to you with this, Yarmo. Yeah, it was it was a combination of two things. I mean, I think you're right. Like, if you know this guy hired the coach and is paying him four million dollars a year and you're just like a 20-year-old guy on the team, like you obviously don't feel comfortable going to that guy and, and saying, hey, the guy you, you hired is rotten. Yeah. Um, but I think it's also how Yarmo explained it, which is that you know when you have a general manager, as much as you can be like, my door is always open, that player is going to look at you not as, hey, this is a guy that can help me out in a bad spot. You're gonna, the player is going to see him as, this is a guy who literally holds my hockey future in his hands, whether it's contractually, or deciding if I play in the National Hockey League or the American Hockey League, and do I really want to show weakness to this guy or, or show that I'm a malcontent to this guy? So 
it does become a little complicated when it comes to someone like Yarmo, but that's why you have other mechanisms to try to remedy stuff like this. And they didn't go to the league. They didn't go to their agent. They didn't go to Boom Jenner. They didn't go to the PA. And, you know, when I, when I step back and, and take a, a big, long look at the whole Babcock situation, those are the questions that I ask myself is like, are, are we really moving ahead as a culture in hockey if, the, if these young players don't feel safe enough to, to go to these places with these issues? Well, and, you know, and I think that's a huge problem for that organization in general. And that's what I wonder, too, about Yarmouk Kekalainen. And so unless that team get, has success right off the bat, I'd imagine they would have some bigger changes in that team and they have bigger things to solve. But one of the other things that made me think about is we've heard Joel Quenville's name out there a little bit, right? That maybe he's going to find his way back to the NHL. With what happened with Babcock, do we see like that? maybe not happen now or are teams that maybe are thinking of giving uh, coach Q another chance based on what happened with Babcock? Like maybe we won't, we don't want to go down that road again. It's an interesting question. I mean, obviously if the NHL does give Joel Quinville the green light to come back to the league, someone's hiring him. I mean, I, there are tons of rumors surrounding teams like the Rangers, for example, as looking to maybe explore the possibility of bringing him in if he was cleared, but he wasn't, so it, it never came to fruition. I do wonder if, you, if you're one of these teams looking to hire Joel Quenville, if you see a difference in nuance here between him and, and Babcock. I mean, Quenville made a, a gigantic, what I consider to be a career-killing mistake with the, the Blackhawks uh, you know, during the, the Kyle Beach scandal. I, I wonder if a team looks at that and looks at the distance and, and, and looks at that situation being its own its own like microcosm and says this is an okay guy to hire for our job for for our coaching job wherein with mike babcock teams should have known this is just a bad dude <laughs> like like he was a bad dude in detroit he was a bad dude in toronto he's a bully he's kind of a sociopath based on what we've learned uh, what was going on with the blue jackets players and so i wonder if there is a bit of nuance in the in the mind of these teams where it's like quenville did a thing he, you know, he's, he's been out of the game now for a few years versus Dadcock just being who he is. Uh, one of your latest uh, up at ESPN is the uh, player survey that uh, went down in Las Vegas during the NHL player media tour. Uh, the most surprising thing, not any of the rule changes that were suggested by the players. John Tavares saying that a brunch place in Winnipeg is his favorite <laughs> place to visit on the road. Yeah, like we get we get answers from like Brady Kachuk telling us like Salt Bay's restaurant in Manhattan <laughs> is like his spot to go, and like and then Tavares is just like a brunch place in Winnipeg is my go-to on the road. Um, really fun, really fun question to ask. I mean, I'm, I'm a huge foodie, so I was curious about some of the answers there. I mean, I think the one that I loved the most was Matt Boldy saying that uh, his favorite restaurant to go to on the road is a sushi place in Pittsburgh, which is a place I would not. <laughs> Necessarily. I mean, you got you guys are in Vancouver. Yeah. You, you know good sushi, yeah. right? And I don't know if they're pulling these fish from the Three Rivers or not, but I just found that to be kind of an odd answer. But, uh, but yeah, yeah, Tip, typical low-key Tavares answer. Um, the best thing in that survey, by the way, by far, was the, you know, how would you change the rules in the NHL question, right. which is a real cliche question to ask in these, like, player surveys. But for whatever reason, these guys all had their thinking caps on this year. Like, the, the answers were fantastic. Like, Crosby wants to put the red line back in. Mm -hmm. You know, Tage Thompson wants people to be able to kick the puck in the net. Um, it was really good stuff from those guys to, that, that, to answer that question, I think. Well, I, th I think it shows that the players have been thinking about this quite a bit. You know how we think about these things all the time. The players do as well. And, and I, I think everybody agrees there needs to be some evolution at some point with the game, whether it's rules, something to do with, you know, even how the game gets played to some extent. 
it just seems like they've been very reluctant in recent years, especially after the massive lockout happened back in 20, 2005, where they made the big rule changes. Since then, they've kind of been hands-off on that approach. Does it have to take a, a leadership change for us to see meaning, more meaningful adjustments to how the game gets played? It's a good question. I mean, I, I think for a lot of these guys, they don't like <laughs> answering this question too candidly because they don't like to rock the boat. But, right. you know, we've been asking these guys how they changed the game for a long time. And, and what's interesting about asking it now in 2023 is games in a real good place. I mean, usually when we used, would ask this question in the past, when I was like at Puck Daddy and we'd ask these guys, what do they want to do with the league? They would say, we've got to find a way for more goal scoring, you know, change the goalie equipment, play four on four, all this stuff. But now, like, we've got scoring levels that are the highest we've had since, like, the the mid-1990s. So it's much more tweaking stuff or changing stuff. I mean, there's a few guys that talked about, like, getting rid of the shootout, which obviously I agree with. Um, But it it kind of is interesting to ask, ask that question now because it's not the same sort of militant, get rid of the clutching and grabbing. We've got to create more goal scoring because the, the game's in such a different place than it was even five years ago. What was Crosby's uh, idea behind bringing back the red line? I wasn't expecting to see that. <laughs> well, I talked to him about it. I, one of the things is obviously he came into the league a year after they, they, they got rid of it, right? Like he came into the league the, the, the first year of the new rules, the NHL 2.0 rules with the two-line passes and the whole thing. And I think he's always been curious about what NHL hockey would look like under those, those rules. But, I mean, like, when you think about it critically, and he and I did, did not discuss this, but, I mean, he's, like, on a team where the average age is, like, 41 years old. I mean, <laughs> like, like <laughs> cutting the ice in half and getting rid of two-line passes is probably, like, the smartest thing the Penguins could do this year. Um, the, uh, the other thing I wanted to, uh, bring up on this, uh, Josh Morrissey said, uh, you know, if you score on the power play, the power play doesn't end and you get the full two minutes, which is something they're actually doing in the champions hop- hockey league over in Europe yep. this year. Yep. Do you think, uh, it, it can be a bit of a testing ground for something the NHL might look at? I've, I've loved that idea for a long time. I mean, obviously it's the way they used to run things, uh, in the NHL before, I think it was the Montreal Canadiens in the fifties. Uh, they, they changed the rule because the Habs would just run up the score with all those guys <laughs> that they had on the power play. And I guess maybe we'd have to worry about, you know, Edmonton doing the same thing, yeah. you know, in the modern league. Um, the, uh, and to that end, the only, t- the only like counterpoint that I've heard about that type of change, uh, if you, if you, you can keep going on the, on a power play uh, for the full two minutes, or if they score a short, a shorty, it's over is that, you know, it, Either way, it could change the way that they officiate the game. Like if if you have a a two minute major, let's call it right, um, and you've got Connor McDavid on the other side of the ice, would an official be more hesitant to hand Edmonton a power play? I mean, those are the kinds of questions that get asked about changing any of these rules, and it's worth asking. But but I also think that like the ultimate end result is games that would have crazy high scores, <laughs> which as an American, uh, I can tell you that people really like. Uh, so. Um, yeah, I'm for it. Uh, Wish, I hope you enjoy your uh, travels through the course of the season. Let us know how that uh, sushi spot in Pittsburgh ends up being. (laughs) Will do, will do. (laughs) (laughs) There he is, Greg Wyshynski, ESPN senior writer, joining us here on Canucks Central. Uh, Could not believe that. uh, Pittsburgh sushi and a brunch spot in Winnipeg, but you never know what you're going to get from NHL players. No, the hole in the wall spots are sometimes the best. I mean, I'm sure Winnipeg has some really good, you know, diners and restaurants, yeah. right? I'm sure. Every every city has like 
good places to eat. Just don't do the the mall sushi like Murph did that one time. Yeah, probably not a good idea. <laughs> probably not a good idea. Mall sushi never really a good idea. Even in Vancouver, yeah. probably not a good idea. Um, well, it depends on the place. So shouldn't shouldn't generalize. Rule changes. Uh, I would be kind of curious to see how changing the minor penalties to not expiring when a goal happens or expiring when a shorthanded goal happens. I wonder how much that would change the game. Would it really increase scoring as much as it might seem it does? I think it would. I mean, it, I think it would. Yeah. I mean, you're going to score more goals with more power play time. That's just a given. The question is how much, Which, but I, I think it will, right? I mean, like, you have to look at the average runtime of power plays, mm-hmm. and then you add a full two minutes to it. When, now, sometimes if a shorthanded team scores and it nullifies, maybe you do both, so that way both teams have a chance, so yeah. you score shorthanded. The one thing I wonder about is, do you take away icings, mm-hmm. or is that just going to really just slow things down more? Like, Can you still ice the puck if you're on the PK and then you get called for it? Does it slow the game down too much doing that? It might. Um, and, and one of the players actually suggested not being allowed to ice the puck on a penalty kill. I believe it was Charlie McAvoy, actually, which is surprising coming yeah. from a defenseman. But um, it, it would change the way. It, it forces you as a penalty kill to either flip the puck out um, or you try to do the old curling Alex Edler special right. and get it down as far as you can without actually icing the puck. Yeah, and I mean, our team's still not going to ice the puck, though, because I, I thought Ray Ferraro, shout out to yeah. Ray, who's going to you know be part of the Sportsnet regional TV broadcast this year, but he mentioned on Twitter that you're still looking at 55% or 40, 45% chance of winning the faceoff. Like, if you're just ice the puck and, and hope yep. you win the faceoff and do it again. Like, you still yep. kill time doing it. The guys escape back. So, I mean... But you we've know, talked so much this offseason about how hard it is to win pen- like face-offs on the penalty kill, Zat. How many times, like even as good as Horvat was last year, winning face-offs, it felt like 25% of the time, and I'm probably over-inflating it, but there was so many face-offs that he would end up losing because you're going to lose 45 yeah. 50% no matter what. And, like, within five seconds, seven seconds, the puck is in the back of the net. Yeah, it didn't matter. As long as you lost the faceoff, it was over. Yeah. And that, is that a Canucks problem? Is that a league well, problem? I mean, it was a Canucks problem last year. I mean, they've had the worst PK in the league the yes. past two years combined. So, But, you know, there's often times where you lose that PK and or you lose that faceoff and immediately it's in the back of the net. Yeah. So there's lots of different ways that it can go. But the Champions Hockey League in Europe is going to uh, test this out this year. So we'll be able to see some data on it. In uh, in the future, the only qu- other thought I had on it was, and Wish mentioned, the game is in a good place. The game is exciting. The game yes. is, especially regular season playoff hockey, is great as well. Do you want to mess with things too much? Probably not. Like I kind of get it too. Like from do, that sense, like yeah. Do we need more scoring? And two, do you want more scoring to come just from power plays and penalty kills, or like special teams? Yeah. Right. If anything, you want to increase more five on five scoring, not more scoring on the power play Mm -hmm. uh all right we'll get back into your questions the text message inbox is littered with tanner pearson questions and canucks questions if you have more get them in 650 650 on the dunbar lumber text message inbox canucks made a trade today more reaction next on canuck central catch up on what happened in vancouver sports with halford and bruff in the morning be sure to subscribe and download the show on apple spotify or wherever you get your podcasts